This is Supply Chain Radio. I'm Matt Gunn. Today I'm joined by Guy Corten. Hi, Guy. How are you? Hey, Matt. How are you? Doing okay. So, Guy and I are at the University of Tennessee Supply Chain Forum today. It's a biannual gathering of some 200 executives and students of supply chain in Knoxville, Tennessee, just next to the campus of the university. Now, it's not just about the event, and we're not going to talk about the conference right now, but the day itself that it is. We're wait, at, wait, something happened something today happened. or the past 24 hours? Yeah, we're speaking to you now, some 12 hours removed from the results of the United States presidential election, and wow, <laughs> what do you say about that? I, Matt, you know, without going into a, a long political discussion, because this is obviously not what our audience is here to listen to, but yeah, I think wow is the operative word, and I think you could sense it a little bit today, even here in a you know, red of red states, I would argue that there was still a little bit of, uh, or a lot of sort of, I don't want to say disbelief, but just wondering, well, what does this mean? What's happening? You know, what does the future hold for? And, and I'm sure you and myself and other people listening probably on both sides of the aisle, if you will, went through the past 12, 18 hours and sort of a roller coaster of emotion, positive and negative or in disbelief. And all you have to do is look at our Facebook feeds or our Twitter feeds to see what the world is saying. So you know, it's an interesting times. I think we live in interesting times. I think the reality is the, the sun came up this morning like it does, thankfully, every day. It still rose in the east, and I'm assuming it's still going to set in the west, and life will go on. But I think it is worth maybe diving a little bit deeper into the topic. Yes, I think so. And I think right now, everyone's kind of collectively catching their breath. I think you're right. One of the things that a speaker this morning, Sandra McQuillan, chief supply chain officer at Kimberly-Clark, said is that we're in supply chain. We are in the business of constant change. Embrace the ambiguity because that's who we are. And that's how we make stuff happen. Yep. Risk management, supply chain, so much of your forecasting and planning ahead really is just that. It's a very well-educated guess, no matter how you get to that conclusion. But things happen, things change, whether they're political, whether it's uh, weather-related, whether it's a uh, fire in the factory. We talk about these things all the Absolutely. time. Absolutely. But with regard to politics in particular, there's an interesting dynamic between when you're in an election cycle and various candidates say they're going to do something. And then when you start to get a little bit more clarity about who your choice is going to be and who's going to lead a country or an organization moving forward, what they actually do. Now, we've had a sense that trade policies might be changing and that companies may be preparing themselves for at least a little bit of that down the pipeline. Right. But what's that going to look like? From our standpoint, Matt, I think that's, you know, let's focus on that. I think you're absolutely right. I think for the past, you know, let's say 12 to 18 months, there's been in the supply chain space, you know, a view towards this election because it's going to have impacts on things like TPP, like NAFTA, around certain things that the previous administration or the current administration, if you will, has put in place with regards to labor laws and things like that. And, you know, I think the first shot across the bow for global supply chains in a way was obviously Brexit over the summer, where it sort of fundamentally shook some of the foundation of, well, what does this mean for global trade? What does it mean for global supply chains? And I think we're going to see that again today. I think part of it is now that we know that it will be President-elect Trump and that we know a lot of his rhetoric was very nationalistic, was very isolationist, was very threatening, if you will, to global trade agreements that are already in place or that are hopefully being put in place. Now, at least we have some clarity as to, okay, we know where his mindset is tacting towards. The question becomes, what is bluster and what is reality? 
and what happens when he actually steps into that Oval Office on January 20th of next year and gets the keys to the country, so to speak. And what happens when he might realize that NAFTA isn't so easy to renegotiate because there's two other major partners in that agreement. And while the United States remains the biggest global economy, uh, we are not the only economy. He might realize very quickly that the fact that Ford Motor Car has already announced that it's going to move its small car division manufacturing to Mexico just because he's in office and threatens a 20 or 30 or 40 percent tariff on products from Mexico, that that's not going to change their decision or the decision already has too much momentum and it's not going to be changed. So I think there's still a moment, unfortunately, of uncertainty between now and, and when you know, Mr. Trump becomes the president and more importantly, even once he becomes president, when he can actually start doing things or start enacting things. So I think we're getting a little bit more clarity in our supply chains. I think it's not always, to your point, I think it's a great quote from this morning, right? Because there's confusion, there's opportunity. So I think separating sort of political emotion from the reality of the situation. I think we have to focus on the fact that for supply chains, there is opportunity, but at least there's a little bit more clarity to who's going to be there and what's going to happen. So I think that's the first thing we need to think about. Right. And there's going to be so much more to come in the months or years leading up to the inauguration and then beyond as this new government gets to work. We know that change doesn't happen in a vacuum. Um, as you mentioned, I mean, jobs are moving overseas or have been moved overseas, manufacturing and in retail and fashion and apparel. We're not really in this vacuum of making and planning and sourcing and delivering all just in, you know, our own neat and tidy borders. There's nothing neat and tidy about supply chain, at least not anymore. How does this affect manufacturing? How will they respond in your estimation. Yeah, in my estimation, again, this is you know an educated guess. Like that's all we can do right now. But I think if you look, think about sort of Brexit as a, a model in a way of how this is going to impact manufacturing, retail, labor, things like that, I think it's in a way a mixed bag. When it comes to some labor issues, right, there's, um, there's some interesting studies that have come out or some pieces that came out this morning from the National Retail Federation that actually painted a bit of a more positive picture for retailers themselves, not for the labor. But saying, you know, will, will President Trump sort of go back and remove a lot of the labor laws that President Obama and his administration put in place, especially around things like qualifying for overtime, things like that. So all of a sudden now, does that make it easier or let's call a space pay less expensive for companies like Walmart or Target to hire people because they don't have to pay them as much and they can sort of, I don't want to say exploit them, but have more favorable cost structure for that. So for the retailers, in a way, is there an opportunity there to maybe help control that labor cost a bit more? From the labor side, obviously, now it's not good if you're you know, a person working at Walmart and you were able to get more money. Now you might have that sort of threatened, if you will. So from that labor perspective, yeah, I think it's a wait and see. We don't know, right? We don't know. It's an unknown unknown. We don't know if the Trump administration will truly go through with that. My gut tells me he probably will at some level, right? He has to keep some of his promises. So look for that to happen. If you look at, like for manufacturing, we mentioned earlier, sort of Ford Motor Car already saying they're going to move their small car manufacturing in Mexico. I think it's like a carrier air conditioning or a carrier, one of their divisions. It was a big part of the election where, you know, there's a carrier plant, I think in Ohio, that there's a viral YouTube video where they said there was a company meeting and they said, we're moving to Mexico go back to work now and in a few months to you later. And at the time, candidate Trump reacted to that saying that would not happen under me because I'll put a you know, 40% tariff on products from Mexico. Okay, well, how reasonable is that? 
is Carrier going to say, oh, sorry, President Trump, we're come back to Ohio? Or are they just going to say, well, we're still moving to Mexico. You know, by the way, the products we sell in the United States, we're going to raise the price to meet that tariff. End of the day, I think the reality is the die is already cast for a lot of these decisions. And the die is already cast for a lot of these manufacturers and retailers for what they're doing. If you threaten or actually put in actual tariffs, I think the unintended consequence is the prices go up on the products. These companies look for different markets or they look to cost cut elsewhere to make up the margin. So now maybe we get an inferior product that has a higher tariff. We launch into trade wars, which for global supply chains, I think in the end is not a good thing. It just adds more friction, if you will, right? Something that we talk a lot about. Tariffs, global trade wars, things like that, invariably, I think, are a negative for the flow of goods through the, the economy. But again, maybe I'm being overly optimistic or maybe ignorant in saying that I hope that the candidate Trump and the President Trump are at some level two different people and that the reality of the situation dictates that you can't just do all these things. Now, you know, who knows? Maybe renegotiating NAFTA is a good thing. I don't know. Maybe we get better terms. Let's see. Let's find out. TPP, I feel, was going to have a hard slog regardless because both candidates, Trump and Clinton, had really given it lukewarm at best nods. It was really sort of President Obama's baby to try to push through. And the Congress didn't seem too keen on it. And they were sort of waiting to see who became president. So I think that was going to be DOA regardless. But yeah, I think it's, you know, from a manufacturing, retail, labor standpoint, trade war, supply chain, we're getting again a little more clarity, but it's still a lot of confusion. Absolutely. I mean, we've been holding our breath for a very long election cycle at we this have. point. It's been about as divisive and hotly contested as it can get. I mean, we haven't seen this in our lifetime. And, and so now we get the chance to breathe a little bit. I mean, at least the pressure of not knowing what's next is gone. Right. The unknown unknown is now we know it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, we saw markets and stock futures react negatively <laughs> during the, you know. I, I don't need to laugh. Retaliate. It's not funny, but it, it, you're absolutely right. Like, I, I was watching it while I was still watching it last night, and the futures dropped, I think, to about 600 points down. Hey, you know, part of me, when I saw that, said, all right, maybe I should go in and buy a boatload of these right now because they're going to bounce back up. Right. Which they have this morning. You know, the stock market, last I checked, was up 300 points. Yeah, you know? I mean, Brexit, you know, there was a bounce there, too. And right now we're kind of steady on the course. Yeah. You know, I think from the market standpoint, you're absolutely right. We're all catching our breath. I think what transpired in the last 12 to 18 hours was, let's call it spade a spade. It was a shock, right? Partially because of what the polls were saying. I think it calls in a question polling. It calls in a question punditry and all that. But, you know, we haven't seen something like this, let's argue since Dewey Truman, right, back in the, in the late 40s. And you could argue that that was because the polling back then was completely screwed up the way they did it. We haven't seen this really badly since, you know, FDR versus whoever he beat in his first campaign. And part of that was because they polled everybody over the telephone and no one owned a telephone but rich people. But I think we're catching our breath. I think we're catching our breath. I think give it, you know, another 24, 48 hours, another week. I think people will calm down and realize, okay, now we know what's there. Let's figure it out. But I do believe, again, we've never seen a candidate like this. We've never seen a person like this who will take office. We really don't know. We don't have a track record. He's someone who's never been in government. We don't know how he's going to manage a budget. We don't know how he's going to manage trade policy. We don't know how he's going to manage labor policy. 
We know what he's done as a private citizen, as a business owner. We know those things, but we don't really know those as well as we might if we had run the state of New York, for example. So I do think there's still a lot of unknowns, um, but at least the big unknown has been taken away from, from the equation, if you will. We don't know a lot, and we'll continue to get a better picture of that as we go, and that's simply life. I think that we will uh, work together. Companies will continue. The world hasn't ended. It's all about responding to what you don't know is around the corner. There you go. <laughs> a squeaky wheel. A squeaky wheel. Oh. But one thing's for sure. I mean, when we look at the way that we plan and forecast and the way that we measure data and try to find truth in the data, we also, it's, it's imperfect. Uh, we're sometimes searching for truth that we think should be there, but maybe isn't. And I think that that proved true last night as we saw all of this kind of come down to a result that many in the media or who run polls or yeah. who sift through massive amounts of data to give us a picture of what's coming next could not have predicted. Not to overblow this, but I, I absolutely agree. And I heard someone bring this up in one of the talk shows this morning, and I absolutely agree with it. And, and your point's well made. You know, have we, and, and by no means, let me state a caveat, by no means do I think this means that the whole notion of big data and data science is dead. Of course not. But it is a sobering reminder that in the, the day, and this I think is very relevant to like people in the retail space and things like that, in the, the day, buying or voting decisions are sometimes made on emotion. And motion is very hard to measure with a constant survey. It's very hard to measure with numbers, if you will. If you look at some of the results I saw last night, which again, I think speaks this notion of emotion. You know, you look at where Donald Trump won in huge margins, these small little rural areas where four years ago, Romney won by, let's say, you know, eight or nine or 10 points. And Trump went in there and won by 30, 40, 50 points. Isolated, that's a small number of votes. Taken as an aggregate, it's what makes him win the election. Why is that? Is it because the emotion was there? It seems that way, right? And I think from a supply chain standpoint and from a retail standpoint, we need to remember that, right? It doesn't matter how many models we run. And at the end of the day, we as humans are still making a buying decision. And there's an aspect of emotion. There's an aspect that we have to take account. And it's also, to your point, is an aspect of, you know, run the numbers, run the numbers, run the numbers, but don't get too in love with them because they're not always right. They're not always right. I mean, Brexit was the same. This was probably even more of a drastic situation. I think numbers are great. I think we always need to use them. We need to be smarter about them, but we need to balance it. Absolutely. I mean, it's not about uh, what you plan or what you forecast or what you really believe is coming. There's an element to it that it is simply how you respond in the moment that makes the difference. It's the emotion of that moment. All right, I'm going to leave it with that. Guy, any final thoughts as we close out this episode? Yeah, you know, Matt, I think one more final thought about this, which relates to sort of the disruption that you see in things like elections and politics is, you know, one small thing that happened on four cities this last night was this vote on a soda tax, you know, on sugary sodas. And I think it was add one penny per ounce. And it passed in four cities in Boulder, Colorado, San Francisco, Oakland, and Albany, California. It's interesting because it's, you know, how's that going to impact the CP industry, the retail industry, right, who are selling these things, how does it shift their balance? I mean, you mentioned we had a speaker this morning today from PepsiCo as well who brought it up, and they mentioned that 20 years ago, their, their tagline is, we sell soda. Well, you can't do that anymore, right? Things are shifting. And how is this vote going to maybe potentially shift some buying behaviors, things like that? I think it's just an interesting thing from a disruptive standpoint to think about that sometimes these I don't want to say inconsequential, because it's not, but these small actions that we take in politics and in elections, 
how does it impact our supply chain? How does it impact our product selection and our strategy? And I think it's something that CP companies and retailers and fashion players always have to keep that in mind because that is a disruption. And now it's quote unquote visible because you know it's going to be on the ballot. It's not predictable. Who knows if it's going to pass or not? You can say yes or no. But as we saw last night, just because, you know, it's a 4% lead for Hillary Clinton and then she loses, you know, that's all you need to remember. Right. And as we said at the top of this, change is constant and it's how you prepare, how you diversify your brand, your portfolio. That's right. You know, just simply how you are ready to respond. And and how how flexible is your supply chain, right? Because at the end of the day, it's your supply chain that has to fulfill all those reactions that you have to take to these changes. All righty. Thank you very much, Guy. It has been an interesting ride. Uh, It's been uh, an interesting 24 hours. I'm sure it's only the beginning. All right. This wraps up our episode of Supply Chain Radio. I'm Matt Gunn, and uh, thank you again to Guy Cortez.